Cowabunga, everyone. This is your host, Bree, with a bit of a programming update. Initially, our plan was to finish out May with our Babysitter's Club episode, followed by a few episodes on Star Wars, which you do hear us mention in this episode. Unfortunately, uh, due to some guest host conflicts, uh, we've had to delay both the Babysitter's Club episode and Star Wars Super Month. Uh, just had some time conflicts and want to be able to offer the best Super Month possible without crunching anyone for time. Uh, in the meantime, we've got episodes coming up on the Coen Brothers and Mel Brooks as well as It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yes, Peak Show is finally going back to TV town. Anyway, we hope you enjoy this episode on Adam Sandler. Take it easy. Take a look. Let's see. Are you, are you serious? going to put this up right here? Look at this shit. The Sixers are supposed to win the game tonight, they think. We don't keep track of none of that shit. They think on game seven you're not going to get fucking 18 points. They don't think you're going to get eight rebounds? These guys don't know shit about that. What the fuck are they doing? Doesn't that make you want to fucking kill them? Doesn't that make you want to say, fuck you for doubting me? Doesn't that make you want to step on fucking Elton Brand's fucking neck? Come on, KG. This is no different than that. This is me, all right? I'm not a fucking athlete. This is my fucking way. This is how I win. Where the price is always wrong, bitch. I'm your host, Revolting Blob Bree Rohde, and who is with me on the line today? Uh, I'm Kelsey, uh, Kelsey Goldman, staunch Eight Crazy Nights defender. We're getting into that. Yes, like, we are. Right in, so, uh, <laughs> so get ready for me to defend a really bad animated movie. <laughs> Well, then you guys already know up front what we're talking about today. Um, this is, um, uh, we're discussing another actor slash performer. You guys loved our episode about Mike Myers. And I thought, you know, we should do more of these kind of writer performer peaks. Um, and we had a bit of a hole to fill this season. And I'm going to air out my dirty laundry. Um, I had this season um, pla- planned out banking on this year being the year that Stranger Things ended because we all saw... <laughs> The trailer in which Will Byers is now a 30-year-old man with a simple Jack haircut. Um, And just for fuck's sakes, Netflix, stop this show. Um, So yeah, it's season four is not its final season. Um, So instead, um, this came at the suggestion of both Kelsey and... um, friend of the show slash like wife of the friend of the show Rachel um who both suggested Mr. Adam Sandler and who's better to chat about with me than my friend Kelsey who ha- literally has Adam Sandler related traditions in her life <laughs> multiple but, uh, multiple Adam Sandler related traditions yes <laughs> now Kelsey we're going to talk first about your podcast traditions you're on currently a bit of a podcast sabbatical but mm-hmm. uh you were just telling me off mic about some podcast progress your podcast with Jason Ruin My Life has done an episode that I would say is like a crossover with this episode. So can you tell me about your uncut gems? And um, I'm not going to say it that way for throughout the whole episode. It's okay. <laughs> your uncut gems and Passover tradition. Yeah. So um, I believe we did this during, there was our first episode recorded during the pandemic. Um, mm-hmm. Jason and I usually record in person and it was a remote episode. And so it was new for us. But basically... Um, Jason, my podcasting partner and best friend, uh, fell in love with the movie Uncut Gems and wanted to show it to me. And uh, 
around the same time we had hosted a virtual Seder for all of our friends, Passover Seder. Um, mm-hmm. And it was sort of, we have a tradition on our podcast of sort of for holidays exchanging things. And we usually do it around like the winter holidays, but um, instead yeah. we decided to do one for Passover. Um, so we talked a lot about um, Passover. It's my favorite holiday, Jewish holiday, and um, why it means a lot. And then we talked about the film Uncut Gems and why it is a Passover movie <laughs> um, and why it is good and in a lot of ways uniquely Jewish. Mm-hmm. Um, so now I've started a tradition of watching it on Passover or around Passover. I did watch it yesterday, which was the day after Passover ended. But <laughs> Okay. Yeah. So this year was crazy uh, because I, I, I'm i I'm Catholic and – or culturally catholic um i know i know catholicism is not nearly the same as judaism in the sense that like you know no one's quote unquote ethnically catholic but i would still say like i yes i identify as an atheist but like the catholic part of me is impossible to ignore you could be um, culture like i i yeah. think there are people who are culturally their religion as opposed to like religiously their religion and i Absolutely. definitely fall like Probably for a lot of Jewish people, more on the culturally Jewish side than the like religiously totally. Jewish side. So yeah. that's a lot of what I think about of of this. Well, and because for me, like being Catholic is very tied to like my French Canadian identity and my Irish Canadian identity and stuff, you know. And it's no different than like if you grew up in like a, in a Protestant church, like going to Friday night youth groups. Like, hey man, you you know who else? I, d- I don't know. I thought everyone does those really good youth pastor jokes on Twitter. I can't come up with any because I didn't have cool youth pastors. <laughs> um, you know, we've talked a lot on the show, though, about um, movies and TV shows that I can appreciate on two levels. And one is a thing where, like, I love Uncut Gems so much as a movie, but I'm also very aware that there's another level of that that, like, to watch it as a Jewish person is probably very distinctly different. Um, I feel that way about the show Never Have I Ever, which, you know, is, you know, on one hand, very much about being a teenage girl uh, growing up today. On the other hand, it's also very much about being a brown girl, um, which, uh, surprise, I can't identify with. Um, Or even, uh, I had no idea until someone told me, but Napoleon Dynamite and um, Mormon culture, Um, which, because the writers are Mormon and it's set in like Mormon land and a lot of things like even the food they eat stuff in there um uncut gems was released on netflix the saturday before everything locked down but when everything was already like i'd not gone into work that friday and stuff and i was tear like we just shut down our dance studio for quote unquote two weeks aka forever (laughs) and i'm like okay i need to get my mind off this oh uncut gems i've heard amazing things about this i'm gonna watch this you should not watch that on the first day that you realize the entire world has changed because what a stressful watch the movie the Uncut Gems is the most stressful movie I have ever watched. I mm-hmm. I was watching it yesterday and I was like, there's a lot of things that make Uncut Gems a Passover movie, but I mm-hmm. like to think of Uncut Gems as the matzah of films. This is the film of affliction. We watch it not because we enjoy it, not because it's good for us, but to remember that Jews have suffered and that in the modern day, sometimes that suffering is of our own making. Well, I've never had matzah, um, so... <laughs> But I, I love that explanation. And actually, so the reason I went back and rewatched Uncut Gems and had a better time was because 
shortly after, shortly before, you and Jason had released your podcast episode. And that was, I think, really just around the time, like we'd been mutuals for a while, but that was really around the time that we actually started talking, you mm-hmm. and I. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my God, like this is what I needed. Like I can go and watch that and like just appreciate it a little bit more. And also at that point, I'd accepted that I was going to be staying at home forever. Um, so yeah, that was... That was my Uncut Gems kind of intro. And it like it was largely because of you and Jason. Oh, I love that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So now before we go any further, you're now officially a repeat guest. Uh, you did our Mighty Ducks season one episode and you were also a guest on our finale. But you're going for the official three-peat, which yeah. I think... I think even Liz doesn't have our... I think the only person who has an official three-peat is, and it's still not quite official, is Mike, because Mike was also a guest on our March recap. But you won our wonderful trivia contest, which means you get to boss me around for an episode and pick the topic. Um, So can you... It's time to reveal what you and I are going to be covering in, I think it's July. Yeah. So originally I had been uh, debating between doing this as, as my episode, Adam Sandler, because I was, I was still kind of on the high of, of my first uh, Uncut Gems watch. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then I think, um, I settled on, uh, there was kind of a, a, a desire to do more of the actor, creator, director and kind of, um, thing. So I settled on a, uh, Someone who is very formative to me comedically, uh, Mel Brooks. Yes. And I'm very excited to talk about him in the summer. Um, I'm also, I'm particularly excited as well because uh, the reason we're doing this in July is because it's following June. June is this year's super month and we're talking Star Wars during that time with uh, special guests including uh, another two Peter, Ted Raymond and uh, the great Eric Siska. Uh, so I think it'll be really fun to discuss Spaceballs, which I know I'm not the only person who says this, but um, I saw Spaceballs before I saw Star Wars or before I remember seeing Star Wars. I might have seen Star Wars when I was like very, very little, but the first one I remember was Spaceballs because um, there was I, a big... Also me. (laughs) There was a big Spaceballs display in my Walmart at the electronics center, like by the TVs. And so like, I just like looked at it as a little kid and was like, that looks funny. And I think I watched it at my Uncle Ray's house. Um, So I'm I'm really excited to do Mel Brooks. And um, because of the directors that we've done so far, we've done very contemporary ones. And so I really like the idea of doing someone who's a little more, like you said, formative to a lot of people and also influenced a lot of the people on Peak Show that we talked about. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, we were... um, Now, in season one, we talked about when we peaked personally, and you said you peaked personally around college. But our season two kind of upgrade tradition is to share a moment in your life that is peak you. So can you look back and tell me about a moment in your life that is peak Kelsey? Um, Okay, so I have... I was, like, choosing between two. I think (laughs) um, peak... Peak me is either I went to see um, the chicks, formerly known as the Dixie Chicks, in concert for the first time since 2001 in 2016 mm-hmm. with my mom. <laughs> and yeah. I basically cried the entire show because of how like formative that music was to me and how easily mm-hmm. I cry. Um, so that's probably one of them. <laughs> uh, uh, and the other one that I was choosing between was my senior year of college, me and three friends drove three hours from Baltimore to New Jersey to see the first off-Broadway staging of Newsies, the musical, um, live, which is also a very formative film to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, oh, 
So those two you things are, are things that I th- would think are peak me. You don't have to sell me on Newsies. I um, and and I think we mentioned this in our buried uh, musical theater episode. But I am really big on uh, musicals that are very dance heavy, and Newsies is a dance driven musical, um, which is surprising that I'm such a come from away fan because there's essentially no quote unquote dance in it. Yeah. But um, yeah, I. Um, uh, I fucking love Newsies. Um, on the topic of the chicks, please support my belief, as brought up on our Taylor Swift episode, that Taylor Swift would cover the hell out of Not Ready to Make Nice. Oh, God. Yeah. 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 100%. Like, and Super. like, she's worked with them. Like, they wrote one of the songs on her yeah, Lover album. Soon You'll Get Better. Yeah. Oh, that, yeah. that's a tearjerker. It really is. They <laughs> they have the power to make me cry and have since I was about nine. Yeah. <laughs> so... I'm- I'm so glad I don't think I'm too good for country music anymore. <laughs> yeah. So I, I went so through now, that phase, but I grew up in Kentucky, so it was kind of unavoidable. <laughs> yeah. So now we were obviously both a little comedy nerds growing up. So can you tell me about like when Adam Sandler first came onto your radar and how you followed along with his career? Yeah. So um, I think, um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, my personal experience with Adam Sandler is been about him being like the Jewish pop culture figure for a long time and uh, mm-hmm. like most of the 90s basically and like the Hanukkah song being a huge thing we we when I was a uh, in elementary school we did this like holiday uh concert and each grade would like sing a song and mm-hmm. my grade had the most Jewish people in the history of my school <laughs> um, and every year we would get assigned to do like a song about Hanukkah because mm-hmm. All the Jews are in this class. (laughs) And listen, there are not a lot of good Hanukkah songs. We always have the Hanukkah songs. And, you know, there aren't very many good uh, school appropriate Hanukkah songs. But we did uh, we did very much enjoy uh, knowing that Adam Sandler's Hanukkah song was out there. And it does two really wonderful things that I believe all Jewish people want, which is better songs for Hanukkah and knowing all of the celebrities who are Jewish. Um, that's like a, a hallmark of, of like the Jewish grandma or mom, just like telling, telling you who's Jewish. They want to know who's Jewish. Um, cause yeah. we're the chosen people and you gotta like, you gotta represent. Um, so that was definitely my, um, my entree to Adam Sandler as it were. But I think my, mm-hmm. my version of Adam Sandler, Sandler is very much the nineties Happy Madison production movies. Yep. Um, Yeah. Um, I rewatched most of for this. (laughs) I rewatched a lot of the 90s ones, but honestly, it was a trial watching any of the 2000s, 2010s ones. Um, Now, my very first memory of Adam Sandler is very vivid. Um, My parents had either rented or purchased um, Billy Madison, and I just started around. I I mean, I would have been five or six years old, and I'm like, who is this man acting ridiculous on my television? And um, I've mentioned this so many times on Peak Show that what I watched was not monitored or policed at all. And uh, so that was where I learned things like, want to touch the hiney yet. <laughs> um, so then Happy Gilmore comes out. Now, at the time, I wasn't into hockey, but I think Happy Gilmore actually really, uh, really drove that up a notch. Um, and uh, I thought Happy Gilmore, it was 
one of the first times I'd seen a celebrity play themselves in something scripted, that celebrity being Bob Barker, um, but play like an exaggerated version of themselves. And that was when I was like, oh my God, Bob Barker is so funny for doing this. Um, so I like... I was a comedy nerd, but I wasn't like a smart comedy nerd for a long time. Like I was a rubber face kid. I was a silly voices, dumb faces, Jim Carrey kind of kid. And Adam Sandler, I liked him because he was Jim Carrey, but like kind of a bad boy and kind of edgy and stuff. And so, you know, prior to, I'd say, age 11, if Adam Sandler was in it, I watched it. Now, I think unlike a lot of people my age, I think I fell off the Sandman chain a little bit earlier because I remember um, I did see Little Nicky in theaters and I think I was like the right age to like Little Nicky, but I I didn't like it. And I don't even think I liked The Waterboy that much, which I would have been nine when The Waterboy came out. Like a nine-year-old would love The Waterboy. And I was just like, no, it's like, there's no plot. Like this is just like, I could start to tell when certain things were becoming like just a receptacle for jokes. And um, that's what I found about the Waterboy. It's like, oh, this character is not nearly as interesting as Happy Gilmore or Billy Madison. Um, I actually did really like Big Daddy. I thought like Big Daddy tugged at my heartstrings a lot and um, and great cast and great use of like the Adam Sandler roster of players. <laughs> the Adam but- Sandler repertory theater. <laughs> but so like by the time Fifty First Dates came out and everyone like... I guess I was kind of excited to be like, oh yeah, Adam Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore are back together. I had zero interest in it. Um, and um, so by the time, like by the time he started doing things like you don't mess with the Zohan, I, I was like, yeah, that's just what Adam Sandler does. Um, and he had kind of become, I don't want to say a joke at that point, but like there was that very distinct joke on the episode of The Simpsons where um, Mr. Burns is like, oh, I'm, you know, not among the top 50 most beloved billionaires. I'm behind Adam Sandler. And like, that was kind of when I understood Adam Sandler is just pumping out content, you know, and that's it. Um, And I didn't see Punch Drunk Love when it came out because I was in the seventh grade and that movie does not appeal to a seventh grader. But when I went through a Paul Thomas Anderson phase in university, I watched Punch Drunk Love and I loved it, but I also got really mad because I'm like, how does this man manage to do such good performances once a decade? And like, I I was very much, you know, the Jesse Pinkman gif, like he can't keep getting away with this, (laughs) Um, which is exactly how I reacted to Uncut Gems as well. Because like, I remember when everyone was like, oh, could this be the thing that like turns Adam Sandler into a prestige actor? I'm like, no, you idiots. He's just going to go back to his pee pee poo poo movies. Like he's, I think that's the most frustrating, but wonderful thing about Adam Sandler. Yeah, I think, uh, I think I fell off Adam Sandler also around the little Nikki uh, time. Um, yeah. because I remember seeing it, but like on cable, like a few years mm-hmm. after it came out, cause it was on that kind of thing. I will say that my, you know, Happy Gilmore is, is, is probably my like most specific Adam Sandler because my dad was really into golf. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. my dad was a big golfer and we watched a lot of like golf movies together and my dad loved Adam mm-hmm. Sandler. And I like realized while I was doing this deep dive previous to this episode that like Adam Sandler makes movies for my dad. Like. That's who Adam Sandler makes movies yeah. for. Like, my dad was in his 30s in the 90s. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. And like, he's still making movies for my dad. 
And that's mm-hmm. that's what it is. Like, he's not making movies for me anymore, even though his movies in the 90s did appeal to me. Um, the movies he's making are for my father, who is yeah. Adam Sandler's generation, basically. Yeah, my dad was a little less into the super silly stuff. And to give you an image of uh, Mr. Bree, of Dad Bree, he's a MASH fan. So that's the kind of stuff he's into. But like, he would be much more likely to sit and watch a comedy movie with his kids than my mom. Um, My mom likes, you know, police procedurals and stuff like that. Um, So, but uh, like my dad, especially if it's like, I hate to say this, sorry, dad, but like booby humor and stuff like that's what my dad thinks is hilarious and I think so you know my dad and I like we're not close anymore and we weren't through my most of my adolescence but like for a long time like movies and seeing movies together was like a thing that we did and that mm. was like that's where a lot of this came in and this is like realizing that, that like these movies are for him like really like changed my whole perspective on everything kind mm. of after when I stopped watching Um, you know I find that to be such a common thing Uh, the more like I talk to other female hosts on the show like watching comedy with your dad is such a thing like especially people who don't have particularly close relationships with their dad but it's like oh this was our thing I'm like oh thank god I'm not the only one like um, we're gonna talk a lot about my dad when we talked about Mel Brooks (laughs) oh fuck yeah awesome um yeah (laughs) Um, so, uh, now that we talked about our history, we're talking about, uh, the Sandman's history. So, uh, Adam Sandler, he was born in Brooklyn in 1966, which is, okay, just consider this, Adam Sandler's almost 60. How fucking weird is that? It's weird. It's really weird. (laughs) It's weird. Like, that's not that much younger than my parents. So, um, so he, uh, born to, uh, Russian Jewish immigrant parents, lived in Brooklyn in his very early life before moving to New Hampshire and, uh, took an interest in theater at a young age and graduated from NYU in 88. He started, he got into comedy actually really quickly and there wasn't a lot I could find on his, um, background in terms of like the early people he worked for and stuff. Whereas like Judd Apatow, cause he had his finger in so many pies from a young age. Like we could find everything on like every little bit of career that, uh, that Apatow had. Um, whereas like, I know that Adam Sandler worked a couple little guest roles and stuff. Um, he was, I, I've never watched the Cosby show and now I obviously very much have no interest in watching the Cosby show, but he had like a little bit role on the Cosby show as a friend of Theo, which I think is very cute. Um, and then he started doing stand-up. Um, here's a question. Have you ever watched any of Sandler's uh, stand-up? I haven't. I haven't actually watched no. any of his stand-up outside of like bits he's done on Saturday Night Live, which are stand-up E. And then I've listened to a couple of his his albums. Yeah, the comedy albums are big for me, but even then, those feel so much more sketchy than stand-up-y because it's more like him doing a character and stuff. And so, like, it doesn't feel like a a stand-up routine. So I would be curious to find some of that. But he was discovered by uh, Dennis Miller, um, which there's a name. There's a name I haven't heard in a long (laughs) time, um, probably for good reasons. Um, And he was brought on as an SNL writer in 1990 and shortly then became a featured player. Now... um, um, when we did our Mike Myers episode with Steve Sadak, uh, Steve mentioned that Mike Myers, you know, around the time he was on SNL, besides Wayne Campbell and a few of his characters, like he was never really that like he wasn't known for like defining a certain era of SNL. He was kind of like a Phil Hartman style, like bit player. Um, and 
that era was, and it's true because if someone asked me like, oh, who else was on SNL when Mike Myers was on it? I couldn't tell you. I couldn't kind of pinpoint the years. But Adam Sandler, he, Farley, and Spade, they were the bad boys of SNL in that era. And when I when I finally went back and watched the Sandler years with them and Far him and Farley, um, my God, like I I thought SNL was still pretty good when we were in high school. It has nothing on on that it's, era. It's so great. I did I did I watched a, a playlist of like best of Adam Sandler um for this. Um, mm-hmm. and so, so much of, of best of Adam Sandler is Adam Sandler being the straight man while Chris Farley is insane. And it's yeah so good. Um, Chris Farley is, is a genius obviously, but, um, um, <laughs> I, it was weird for me because I think Sandler, Sandler, Spade, Farley time on SNL was really not like my SNL. Like, I don't know if you have this, but like, yeah. I have like a, a version of SNL that is my SNL and it's like the... Like, um, just post then Anna Gaston, Shayer, Terry, Will Ferrell SNL is my, is my SNL. And so this was just, just before that. And I was just like, oh, this is, and you can see kind of where characters were coming from and where, um, where a lot of the ideas for his movies kind of are Mm -hmm. seeded. Um, but yeah, I think, I think so much of, of, of Adam Sandler's best stuff on SNL is because of Chris Farley. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, you mentioned that this is so true. Sandler's really good at playing a straight man, which I think people forget because, you know, some of his uh, bigger roles, you know, The Wedding Singer, Billy Madison, Happy Gilmore are ridiculousness. However, even in some of those movies or in movies like even in like, quote unquote, bad movies like Big Daddy, he actually does really well at kind of doing the straight faced reaction to things. Um, and you know, Sandler, he's cool when he's the crazy guy in the room, but he's also really cool when he is um, when he is paired against someone crazier, um, a particularly. And this is around um, just post SNL, post, you know, Billy Madison suffer him. He had a role on uh, Undeclared, which came up uh, with the episode I did with Kyle. Now, have you ever watched the series Undeclared? It's been a long time, but I have seen a couple episodes. So Adam Sandler, uh, good friends and former roommates with the aforementioned Judd Apatow, who created uh, Undeclared, which I still maintain is much better than Freaks and Geeks. Um, and he, there was an episode where he got Sandler to play as himself, you know, doing a college show, which the idea that Sandler would be doing college shows in 1999 seems a <laughs> bit, uh, you know, that that would have been a very generous tour stop for, uh, for the Sandman. But... Um, and he ends up sleeping with uh, one of uh, the members of the group. And then he he plays it pretty cool. They both play it cool and she just leaves. Um, and I think more of the comedy is in her like trying to hide it from her boyfriend. And then she finally tells him and it's like the end credits gag. And he's like, are you kidding? That's amazing. My girlfriend like screwed out of Sailor. That's amazing. <laughs> um, but it's that like his assistant falls in love with him and like everyone everyone is crazier than him and it's him being like kind of a dick to everyone on the floor but i actually because adam sandler plays a dick very well he's really good at being a straight man yeah oh my god that one of my notes i watched a lot of i rewatched a lot of things for for this and one of my uh my notes is that like there's actually very few movies where he's not playing a dick and they mm-hmm. they really stand out um because of that <laughs> yeah like i mean we'll get 
We'll get to that soon, but there's a couple movies of his that I'm supposed to, I feel like I'm supposed to like, and I don't because a lot of them are about how adorable he's supposed to be. Uh, But we'll get to that when the time comes. Um, so yeah, after, after SNL, he was, he and Farley were fired from SNL in, um, 1995, which like, uh, I think a lot of people read that they see like fired as like, oh, like for what reason? Like SNL fires performers all the time. Cause they just decide like, we're gonna, we're gonna freshen things up. Like that's how, that's how they freshen. Yeah. That's how they rotate new people in and out. And, um, he went pretty much right into movies, um, no movies that I could tell based on his his characters from uh, from SNL. He's not right away or not directly, but he did he did Billy Madison, my intro to him, and then uh, Happy Gilmore shortly thereafter, um, and that went on to a few other things. Uh, Bulletproof, which I I don't remember. Um, the Water Boy. Um, it was in 1999 that he um, did what I'll say is both like the worst thing from a cynical perspective, but also actually the smartest thing, which was he formed his own production company. He formed Happy Madison. Like that's, that is why Adam Sandler is as rich as he is. And the fact check to the Simpsons is that he is not a billionaire, um, but he like, he is as rich as he is because of Happy Madison, because it produced so many, frankly, extremely cheap movies, you know, like Deuce Bigelow and, you know, Chuck and Larry and stuff. But like, it's basically just him like farting around with his friends. <laughs> and like I, wouldn't we all love to be farting around with our friends all the time and making money for it? I do sometimes think <laughs> of how good the like any of those Happy Madison movies could have been if Farley were still alive. Oh god. Um except that the worst thought I've had cuz and we talked about Chris Farley a lot actually on the on the Mike Myers episode cuz Chris Farley famously was supposed to be the voice of Shrek um very different movie if you ever have a chance look up the animatics um that feature Farley's voice it's so weird um the worst thought I have is that Chris Farley would probably be regarded the same way we regard Adam Sandler now which is to say like um you know he um yeah, he's kind of a joke now. Like, whoa, wasn't he good on SNL? Too bad. He's not funny anymore. And then would take a serious turn when he played former Toronto Mayor Rob Ford in a movie. That's what I sincerely believe. <laughs> I mean, he would, though. Like, he would do yeah. that. That's perfect casting. He would play the hell out of it. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Um, and that's the 2000s. Late 90s, 2000s was also when he starts, you know, like I said, becoming the one-man content machine, doing, you know... Waterboy, Big Daddy, um, I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry, don't mess with the Zohan. Um, he did do Punch Drunk Love in 2002. Oh, sorry, 190s one that I glossed over, which I think is a lot of people's favorite, The Wedding Singer. Um, I didn't watch The Wedding Singer until a bit later. I'd mostly followed along with the 90s stuff when I was a kid, but The Wedding Singer, I think I watched around middle school. Uh, perfect age for that movie. That, oh, I loved, I must have sang his uh, his various little suicidal wedding songs so much in the seventh grade. Um, but yeah, so the 2000s, and that's also when he started doing kind of not overly schlocky, but pretty schlocky family stuff, the the bedtime stories and Click, which I'm sorry, if you if you try to tell me Click's a good movie, I will fight you. Um, that's it's not a good movie. Um <laughs> Are any he of these movies fi- good movies? <laughs> let's let's be honest here. I think I think some of them are. Um, not many from 
this. Uh, I mean, I actually, era. I do have a defense of one of these movies from this era later that we can get into. Okay. <laughs> well, so my thing from this era, if we're if we're really relitigating his movies from the two thousands, mine is not only don't tell me that don't tell me that Click is a good movie. Um, I don't like Fifty First Dates. Fifty First Dates is the one where I I've said to many people like it's. It's about how adorable I'm supposed to find him, and it's about how sweet I'm supposed to find him, and it's just too cutesy poo. Um, the the Barrymore Sandler reunion doesn't work in it to me. So, what's your defense? Well, of- I mean, I didn't. So, I didn't rewatch Fifty First Dates for this because I couldn't find it for free anywhere. Um, and uh, I remember enjoying it for the most part when I saw it. Um, you know, around when it came out. And and now kind of having a lot of questions about how it would work in, in the, and then how and how just lo- logistically the happy ever after doesn't really work. Like, can you imagine waking up pregnant with no memory of being pregnant? Like, oh think God. about that. Think about that. I, I don't want to take this to an overly dark place, but it's giving room. Not the room, room, like the Brie Larson movie. And just like, oh, I'm just supposed to believe this guy. I know that there wasn't memory loss involved, but yeah. it's just like, you're just at the mercy of this person that you met that swears you're in a relationship. Yeah. Um. So I think I think I, I thought it was sort of like cutesy when it came out. And I think I would enjoy it mm-hmm. a lot less now. Um, but I didn't rewatch it for this. Um, my defense of the aughts, um, uh, Adam Sandler has a lot to do with sports. Okay. So I think that Sandler is at his best movie-wise when there is a sports-based element in his movies. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, Happy Gilmore, multiple yep. sports there. Uncut Gems, sports Uncut there. Um, yeah. You know, uh, obviously I will defend um, Eight Crazy Nights for a lot of reasons. Yes. Which is also from this era. Mostly... Mostly because, one, there are no movies about Hanukkah, <laughs> and mm-hmm. and we deserve a film. And it's just so perfectly encapsulates, like, a holiday movie, but is, like, kind of off-color and kind of gross and kind of, like, just what I think about when my family gets together for the holidays. It's just, like, yelling and bad jokes and kind of gross shit um, and good, good songs, I would say. <laughs> Um, so I think it's just like, it's everything I want in a Hanukkah movie and it just, it, yeah. it makes me feel so good when I watch it. So that's my one, one of my defenses from this era. My other defense oh, absolutely. is from, is for, uh, his remake of The Longest Yard. Oh yeah. Which that, I rewatched That might have been today. the last one I saw in theaters for a long time. I, it might have been um, like the last movie that I saw with my dad in theaters, but yeah, um, that's not true. I think we saw something else after that, but like- That is a movie that you would go to with your with your dad yeah. or something. Like that's not a movie you go on a date for. Yeah, and I rewatched it today. And like, I understand like the story's not his because it's a remake, um, but like I enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun and it's like a good sports underdog movie. And he does like- group of misfits very well and like chris rock is there nelly is there <laughs> like, you know terry cruz um james cromwell doing some work in that movie and then burt yeah. reynolds is, is is in it as well you know reprising his role from the the original and so if you like a football movie if you like a sandler movie i say watch it because i find it very enjoyable 
So I'm actually not a football fan. Um, I think it's a Canadian thing. Like we have a football league, but like the CFL is a joke. Um, And you, I am, I'm into every sport except the cool ones. I'm not into basketball and I'm not into, um, and I'm not into football, which I should be into basketball considering my city won the NBA championship two years ago. But, uh, um, but what's, the Longest Yard was my introduction to as a teenager. And like, I was obviously aware of him, but it was truly my introduction to Burt Reynolds. And so that is something like that movie, honestly, whoosh, like um, Eternal Sunshine out of my brain, severanced out of my brain. But um, season two, by the way, join us for our weekly Patreon only severance recap show. It's happening, folks. Um, but, um, but that was remembered for me as a gateway to Burt Reynolds. So um, I'll give it, I will give it that. And I also think that is very notable for being one of the last Adam Sandler comedies that wasn't just the like piling in all my friends. Like I picture Adam Sandler kind of pulling up in a clown car and like Kevin James and Rob Schneider and stuff, like just kind of stepping out all the time. Um, the, the, The Longest Yard was different, you know? It feels um, more and, like a real movie and like I don't know if it has a higher budget, but it might than than a lot of his his uh, other productions. Yeah. But like his friends are oh. there. Like he has a lot of friends there. Yes. <laughs> yeah. They 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 gotta step in at some point. I also really like even though even though The Waterboy w- didn't like wasn't the greatest film to me at even at the time, I like that that's still like it had Kathy Bates as his mother and stuff, and I I remember at the time thinking Kathy Bates was awesome because I'd just seen her in Titanic. <laughs> it's like that was what made me like uh, get into a lot of movies. It's like, oh, I saw this person in this movie I liked. So, I, and um, Kathy Bates is wonderful. And again, like having him against quote unquote real actors, even when he's doing the silly thing, he does fit in extremely well. He's not just completely in another film. So, um, yeah, like I. I don't think the 2000s were all bad for Adam Sandler or anything, but it is a very weird, um, incongruent mix because you've got the start of kind of the Happy Madison content machine. You got a lot of these. I mean, you got Punch Drunk Love, which is a genuinely good film. And then you have schlocky Oscar bait like Rain Over Me, um, which, oh, like, I mean, I, you know, unlike you, I'm not a New Yorker and I know you're not even like a native New Yorker and stuff. So like I... I can't wade into 9-11 discourse the way an American can. However, there are certain things I'm like, it felt like that was a stage where like, I know, I don't want to say the, the the rubble was still burning, but that was in retrospect, not that long after. And so making a sappy 9-11 movie, it's like, you have to be so delicate with that because it can feel exploitative. You know, this was about a man who lost his family in, uh, and I'm not blaming Adam Sandler for that. He didn't write the damn movie. But I'm just like, it felt at the time, because I was a teenager, I'm like, this feels like cynical, exploitative Oscar bait. And the consensus of it was that it was cynical, exploitative Oscar bait. Um, um, I will say I haven't actually watched Rain Over Me. I was going to watch it for this, but I couldn't find it anywhere. And I didn't want to pay $5 for it. <laughs> it's it's not one of those movies that I think anyone's felt a great need to preserve. It's in some distributor's back catalog that like when they're brokering a deal, they're like, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll throw in a Rain Over Me. We'll throw in a Rain Over Me. Um, <laughs> but 
Yeah, so like you had the the schlocky Oscar bait, you had the Happy Madison stuff, and then you occasionally still had him doing like someone else's material or doing a true passion. Like I would view Eight Crazy Nights as a true passion project, um, which that is kind of the nice thing about when these guys start making a lot of money and they start doing the things that they want to do. Occasionally, they want to do something that rocks. Yeah. And I think, you know, uh, and like... I love Eight Crazy Nights. I know it's not a good movie. Um, and No, but it's a very fun movie. It's very fun. And it's, I feel like animation is like a better um, source for all of like Adam Sandler's like sort of larger, like gross out stuff. Like mm-hmm. it, it's so much more comfortable there than it is in in live action. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, like there's a part in Eight Crazy Nights where someone gets, thrown into a porta potty and the porta potty gets mm-hmm. pushed down a hill and mm-hmm. and like obviously that's disgusting and in a, mm-hmm. a live action film i would be it would be harder for me to laugh at that than it is in animation mm-hmm. because it's just it's so it's and it's so specifically like a specific style of that really flat that 90s disney animation um that it's sort of parroting in a way like the songs are all like Kind of dirty, kind of off color, but they're all in that yeah. same sort of tone. Um, I- Edgy animation wasn't wasn't big then. Like it was. I mean, we were just getting into Family Guy, and certainly edgy animation in cinema was like still a relatively new thing at that point. Yeah, and I and I think it's 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 also a place where um, he, you know, uses some of the characters that he's had for a long time, um, and he can do all of them at the same time because it's, you know, he can mm-hmm. record the voices. I also think this is kind of a cop-out, but I think it's the love interest that he has the best chemistry with because it's his actual wife. <laughs> yeah. Um, I... it's, the, it's the love interest that I root for the most out of, like, yeah. all of his movies, basically. You know, you talk about the physical comedy, and that's something that I really think might have been why the 2000s started to feel really disjointed for Sandler because, like, he started to get older, and Sandler is one of those guys that he is neither, you know, a Bradley Cooper handsome type who, like, I mean, Bradley Cooper's not the most jacked person in the world, but if he, you know, had to for a role, he's like, I can get super, super handsome jacked. Or then you have, you know, uh, Chris Farley-style funny fat guy. Sandler is neither of those. He's just, like, it, you know, the second he entered his 30s, he just became kind of, like, generically dumpy. Um, and it doesn't help that he's just always wearing gigantic t-shirts um, and has been wearing gigantic t-shirts since the 90s. But, um, you know, the 2000s is when Sandler starts getting older and, you know, he's in his getting into his 40s. And, like, I'm not saying people in their 40s can't be funny. You and I are barreling toward our 40s faster than we realize, but um, he started being significantly less physical in his comedy, even like, you know, Mr. Deeds, which another another one that I find like it's fine, but it's supposed to be about how adorable he is and how innocent he is. It, it is nice to ha- not have dirty Sandler for one entire movie, but um, like it's it becomes more just him sitting and making a snide remark on the scene instead of him actively participating in it like. Happy Gilmore is so physical. The Wedding Singer is so physical. And um, when you think of the heights of like what he and Farley would do on SNL, and then you know he's got these these sports movies and stuff. And then by the by 2010, he feels so inactive or something like 
you know, that's my boy, where it becomes more about him chewing the scenery aggressively. Um, now, that more passive style, I think, can work in movies like uh, Funny People, where he like his whole thing is he's a grump and he's pulled away from all the things that make him happy. And it almost feels like I don't want to say a medita- meta commentary on Adam Sandler's life because it's not autobiographical or anything. But it does, because he is playing, you know, a comedian who is not nearly as happy as he seems and he he appears one way to some people and is completely different. Maybe it feels like a, a commentary on the com- comedy industry in general. Um, and so I think he is extremely well suited for that um, because, well, you know, I'm going to get into this one part of my notes soon. I think Adam Sandler is extremely good at playing pain. He is really, really good at playing pain. Um, we see that, you know, even like, you know, Rain Over Me, which I think is a bad movie. He, I don't think he's bad in it. Um, and he's really good at playing a guy who is concealing his pain. Um, and uh, I think, you know, even Happy Gilmore, you see a lot of that. Uh, the Wedding Singer, for sure, you see that in like a very comedic way. Funny People is, you know, I've talked on extensively on this podcast about my issues with funny people. Sandler is not my issue with funny people. I think he plays that role extremely well because that that's his whole character is a man who's concealing his pain. Uncut Gems is it's all about pain. Uh, it's man. about a lot of things. It's about, it's about pain. It's it's about masculinity. It's about yes, it's it's about suffering. I will it's I will about leave the that to your amazing analysis. Economic relationship between the Jewish people and black people. It's a lot. It's a lot about a lot of things. I have a lot of thoughts. Yeah. I'm. St- I love that so much. But, but it um, is, yeah. I think you're really right because I think I think one of the reasons like a movie like Mr. Deeds doesn't work is because he's mm-hmm. not in enough pain <laughs> like yeah. like he's just a good guy and it's fine and um i enjoy other parts of that movie i like john turturro in that movie a lot i think he's just i, I love when john turturro is just like out there goofy um, yeah. but he's he, he's just kind of a dude and you're supposed to think he's like a super nice guy and it's it's whatever and i think that's um i think that's maybe part of the reason why uh 51st dates doesn't work either because drew barrymore is the one with the pain in this relationship and she does fine in it like i think she's been given kind of a hard role to play there and i think she does fine but um i think that movie is more about her and Mm -hmm. the wedding singer is more about him and i think it works less well for sandler because of that Fifty First Dates and Mr. Deeds are all about how virtuous he's supposed to be. And I think at least it works a little bit more in Fifty First Dates because, you know, Drew Barrymore is so adorable in that movie. Like, as much as, like, I I resent that we're supposed to adore Adam Sandler, I do think Drew Barrymore sells the adorable factor of her character. Like, that's the thing about Drew Barrymore is she's just so nice. Everything she does is capital N nice. I will say... yeah. The best thing about that movie is Sean Astin. <laughs> yes. He's the one who Another. deserves all the credit for that movie because yes. he's the best part of it. But like with um with Fifty First or not Fifty First Dates, with Mr. Deeds, God, Winona Ryder plays such an unlike and she like to me, I feel like she's a character who's written by someone who hates women. Oh god, yeah. And yeah. completely. And so it, that's a sad one to me. Um but yeah, with um like and also because you know he was especially for the 90s and 2000s known for doing the funny voices like a lot of what i would describe certain adam sandler roles is just giant baby 
he's a strange giant baby. And, you know, like sometimes it works when you can do like the, like I said, the you pair it with the intense physical comedy of like the Madison Gilmore wedding singer, that kind of holy trinity. But um, then it just like becomes like, oh no, he's a weird babbling little baby. And like, I don't, what am I supposed to do with this character? Um, yeah, I feel like, I feel like his characters fall in kind of like three places, which is giant baby or... Mm-hmm. perhaps ill thought out of a, a mentally a developmentally challenged person um yes yeah. <laughs> um like total and complete like jerk asshole is one of them yeah and then there's like another sort of amorphous category that i don't know really how to describe that like some roles fall into yeah but um, um. like you know don't mess with the zohan I don't know what that is because <laughs> that movie is weird as hell. Well, um, like certain things just seem like joke receptacles and is, don't mess with the Zohan. It feels like I'm like, this feels like a bad extended SNL sketch. Um, and and that kind of might have very well worked if it were a little SNL sketch. But I feel like if that were an SNL sketch, you'd laugh at that once. And you'd never say like you would never say I'd like to see a movie of that. Like. <laughs> Um, so, and now one, one, as we're getting into the 2010s, because the 2010s is, you know, when he very, um, distinctly struck that Netflix deal in 2014. And now he's like, he released his last theatrical movie in 2015. And now he's just pumping them out for, for Netflix, uh, the do over Sandy Wexler, um, murder mystery, which I actually think murder mystery is great. It's really fun. And it's a great, like, I'm hungover and I got a bottle of Gatorade. I'm going to watch this very low commitment cutesy comedy. Um, I, I think also um, Jennifer Aniston is great in it. Um, it's again, it's very much one of his, you know, famous people playing in their sandbox movie, but um, it is probably his least annoying movie of uh, of that decade. Yeah. But no, I want to talk about uh, the Meyerowitz stories, which he did with Noah Baumbach. Um which is a Netflix original movie or a Netflix commissioned movies, but it's just no one saw it. And I I need to stop myself from going on this Netflix rant every time. And we're recording this around the week of um, April 25th when everyone has accepted now that we all hate Netflix. Um, also, today's the day that Twitter was sold, by the way, to put this in time, so or that Twitter was agreed <laughs> to be sold. So, like, just all the online platforms that we've spent too much time on are going to crumble. And if you thought, if you think that means we're going to jump ship, we're not because we're we're just surrendered to them forever. But um, so my problem with Netflix is that Netflix will spend a ton of money on stuff like uh, like the Meyerowitz stories, which like. I like Noah Baumbach as a filmmaker. I think The Meyerowitz Stories is actually much better than Marriage Story, which I think everyone knows a little bit better because Netflix actually marketed it. Um, Netflix, I, I couldn't believe it would spend the money on The Meyerowitz Stories and then just like not tell you that it existed. Um, I think it is amazing. Um, and I think when you watch The Meyerowitz Stories, you which also, you know, Ben Stiller, um, who I think is very underrated as a dramatic actor, it's got Dustin Hoffman in it. Um, it was a finalist for the Palme d'Or, I want to say, but it's, um, it, it, when you watch it, it is no surprise that Sandler could handle something as complex as, um, as Uncut Gems, because he's just like, it's his straight man thing. Again, he is playing a man who is in a lot of pain and going through like this very dysfunctional family relationship. Um, 
watch the Myra stories if you can. I'm sure it's somewhere in the depths of your Netflix. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I I haven't I haven't watched the Myra stories and mm-hmm. it was one of the ones on my list, but I didn't get to it. I had a list of like 20 films to be <laughs> and I yeah. didn't get to all of them. But well, it it you know, it's I also have kind of a I don't I'm not a huge Noah Baumbach fan. Um uh, so I've probably kind of avoided it for that reasons. Not not for any particular reason, just I remember really mm-hmm. hating the squid and the whale and just Oh see I like the squid and the whale. And just like <laughs> went away from there. And then I have I have not watched Marriage Story, but as a child's divorce, I uh know that I would have a lot of problems with it from what I've heard. <laughs> I mean, I just, I don't know. Like Scarlett Johansson, I'm, we don't need any more Scarlett Johansson movies. We just don't. We really we really don't. We really don't need like, any more Scarlett Johansson movies. Guess what, guys? I've seen all the Scarlett Johansson movies. We can find another actress now. Um, Adam Driver's getting there too, though. I can I can go a while without seeing an Adam Driver performance. Um, so he did release a stand-up special in 2018, as we're saying, like, oh, I've never seen a stand-up. I didn't bother watching it because I didn't like the previews, because the previews just seemed to be largely him going, yeah, you like that, but not actually making any jokes. Um, so maybe I should have been fair and watched it. However, I'm going to share a bit of a full circle thing. Guess who directed his stand-up special? No bomb back? <laughs> Wouldn't that be amazing? Or awful. Uh, Amazing for me, awful for you. Yeah. Uh, no, Steve Brill, who oh. wrote and directed the Mighty Ducks movies. Yeah. <laughs> so I yeah, it turns he, out he's they're with, friends. I think he's worked with Sandler before. Yes. Um, um, but so that's that's great, actually. Love love I, that I coming love back that. around. Love that for both of us. So um Oh yeah, I just so yeah. I wanted to watch one of the recent Sandler Netflix movies. And so um mm-hmm. I watched Hubie Halloween. Okay. Um, which is about what you expect, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh we do get the return of Julie Bowen as his love interest, yep. which I think is fun. But Steve Brill directed that. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I feel like I just saw his name somewhere. <laughs> So I like kind of like TV Halloween again like I don't even think his stuff that's on Netflix is nearly as bad as some of his crappy stuff in the 2000s. Um, I watched TV Halloween because um, Ray Liotta's in it and I love Ray Liotta Um, and like I I was coming in good off of um, off of murder mystery. I still think murder mystery is better, but Hubie Halloween again. Like if you are hungover and you just need to get through that Gatorade, I think Hubie Halloween's a fine movie. Yeah, it was silly. It was a little too long. I will say my favorite thing about rewatching all of the '90s Adam Sandler movies are it's like 86 minutes. Yeah, a perfect movie length. Um, totally, movies have gotten longer, and it's a problem, and it needs to stop. <laughs> yes, I think I can forgive Uncut Gems for its runtime, which is not even crazy long. It's but like two hours uncut- and eleven minutes, something like that. I'm not saying this in a bad way because I don't. I know, I know it's not possible to interpret this positively, but I do mean it positively. Uncut Gems feels like it's four hours long. You walk out of that and you feel like a day has passed because they cram so much into that movie. Yeah, no, like it, I understand what you're saying. Like it feels like it's four hours long, and that's like the amount of stress that and and emotion and it's what you feel. Like it, it's just such an evocative movie as far as like making the viewer feel things. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
um, and that was that was his last kind of big movie. Um, he did renew his Netflix uh, deal in 2020, but I has has anything even come out since well, since Hubie Halloween? No. I don't think so. He's making he's got a lot of upcoming stuff. They're making yeah. a sequel to Murder Mystery. Well deserved, I would say, um, yeah. because at this point, comedy sequels are really just um, aka the deleted scenes. Like, yeah. because DVDs aren't a thing anymore, you know, we don't have the deleted scenes to look at the jokes. So it's like, let's just write a whole new movie for these jokes. Um, I think he's uh, going to do uh, what sounds like a sort of more serious Netflix thing um, based on the 2007 novel Spaceman of Bohemia, where he plays the titular spaceman. Paul Dano's in it. Carrie Mulligan, Isabella Rossellini. So, I love Paul Dano. Um, so, and that is filming currently, I guess, or filmed last mm-hmm. year. Um, and then... Yeah, another. Yeah, he doesn't have anything upcoming that's like written, directed, and starring him. So yeah, um, I I love Paul Dano, and I think Paul Dano has a quality that I actually find about Adam Sandler. That was funny because when I look back at um younger Adam Sandler and like mid nineties Adam Sandler, I think Adam Sandler was a fairly handsome young man. Um, he did not grow into his face. Um, and I'd say he's one of the most average looking men I've ever seen, um, which in Hollywood means you are unattractive. Um, In reality, he's just a person that you wouldn't blink twice at. Paul Dano is also kind of, he has like that Hollywood ugliness. And I find like, there's a reason why I'm sure like, I'll I'll use Bradley Cooper again as an example. I'm sure Bradley Cooper is very funny. You know, he, he made me laugh, I guess, in The Hangover, but I just don't buy attractive men as funny because it's like, you're not really attractive. You never had to be attractive or you, or you not you're not really funny. You never had to be funny. Like when you're attractive, you don't need to be anything. Um, like, and, um, there is kind of a rawness and it's also why, like, I believe Adam Sandler as a struggling jewelry salesman because he's not like he does not look like a model and like like not to not to get on a soapbox about how comedy sucks these days but it's like you also have to be a hottie like or you have to be like a cute little stinker like Andy Samberg is another great example like he's not as breathtaking to me as Dustin uh, Dustin Hoffman is but it's like yes he's very funny but he's also like a little hottie he's a little cutie and well, I'm like, like even- I just more average men, please. More average Even, men. Even like the transformation of Seth Rogen as he's gotten more famous is yes. like frustrating, right? Like, because like, it's, I was like, I thought you were funnier when you were fatter. And that makes me sad for me. And for well, like, because it's not, he's not funny because he's fat. I'm just sad that like he felt the need to get thin. <laughs> yeah. And, and as a fat all, person, like, I just want more representation. <laughs> and that we all care so damn much about the fact that Seth Rogen had a glow up. And I mean, I will say, my mom always says this about my dad, and I think it's sweet that she always says this, but like, she's like, oh yeah, men always get more attractive as they age. Um, cool if you want to believe that. Um, I, I think, I mean, I think age does all sorts of weird things to weird people, and I think we all need to be more accepting of aging in general. But that's the thing is like, I don't care that Seth Rogen had a glow up. And again, I find myself really liking this about Adam Sandler, that he let himself get so average in his 50s, in his 40s even. And he, like, I love that, like, everyone knows that, like, those... (laughs) 
that one picture of Adam Sandler. Uh-oh, we're talking about hockey. Um, Adam Sandler hanging with like Austin Matthews and Morgan Riley wearing the giant basketball shorts and just looking like a fucking mess. And if this person weren't famous, you would either completely ignore him or maybe kind of think, what's wrong with that guy? And but like, I'm sorry. I just love that he's willing to be just okay looking now. And like, like I think that's kind of, I, I think that's a little bit the product of when he sort of got famous and, and started his production company and like, he he doesn't need to be good looking. Not at all. Because he yeah. he got he got in under the, under the, what I will, what I kind of think is a post 9-11 uh, change in media. Jason has a, yeah. a huge theory about how media is like very specifically pre or post 9-11. Um, very much. Yeah. And, and, and I think you didn't have to be as attractive before that. It's no, one of those, it's one of those things. And, and, mm. you know, he very, he, he's rich. He's so rich. He could, get plastic surgery he could have personal trainers he could do whatever but he's not and i respect that i also really respect about with regards to his dramatic roles um with like i would i would put his three best dramatic roles as being punch drunk love myra stories and uh uncut gems is that he did not need to do a physical big physical transformation because you see this a lot with i mean you see it more with with um actresses than actors um and you see it, but you see it a lot with comedic actors that like people make the biggest deal about like, oh, he went through such a physical transformation for these for these roles. And like, I mean, aside from the really bad uh, goatee, goatee in um, in uh, Uncut Gems, like I would I would say, if anything, Sandler in Uncut Gems was just like, I'm going to adopt like I'm going to really become that diamond salesman, you know, and adopt the uh, the aesthetics associated with it. But that's still very much Adam Sandler. He didn't gain or lose a crazy amount of weight. He didn't do anything to his hair. And I always feel like I to be fair, I think the biggest fascination with this was around like um, who is the actress who played the serial killer? Um Charlize Theron in Monster. Yes. Because that was the whole like, oh, I've got to do a, a like I've got to make myself ugly. A, yeah, got to do a big physical transformation. And I I have thought to myself so much, how much must it chafe these serious actors that, you know, Adam pee-pee-poo-poo Sandler can um, get up and look exactly like Adam Sandler and do these roles where he just blows everyone away and without changing himself. And then to top it off, go back to his shitty little dork movies. I think that, like, and I think that's a huge part of why the performance in Uncut Gems is so good too. Like, because he didn't, like, he does transform himself. Like, you, mm-hmm. you buy him as this character because mm-hmm. of the way he moves and the way he talks and the and like everything, all the choices he's made as an actor, and probably some of it being Safety Brothers as well. But, um. You know, I kind of think, you know, if an actor is playing a role, they shouldn't need to transform themselves physically hugely to to make it be understood. Like, if you're a good enough actor, the body that you have should be enough. And I think that's Mm -hmm. another part of, um, you know, kind of what you were talking about earlier. His physicality in Uncut Gems is much higher than in a lot Mm -hmm. of his, like, movies that he's made uh close to it around it and like just the Mm -hmm. way that he moves so much faster so much quicker and the i have a lot of feelings about uncut gems in general and um his performance in it but as well as the way it the it's sound mixed um 
specifically to stress you out, I think. <laughs> um, and, and just how fast it moves and that at such a clip and, and how fast he moves and how much he moves are like a huge mm-hmm. part of why you buy the story. Um, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I completely agree with it. And like, you know, I, and I love all the feelings you have about Uncut Gems because I feel like I, I initially thought like, oh, I have, I have too many notes written down in my personal notes about Uncut Gems. And then I was like, but you know what? Like, it sounds better when you talk about it because you you know like you actually understand um, how it is uh, cultural like in 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 its uh, cultural context as a quote unquote Jewish movie. Um, but what I will just say about Uncut Gems that I love is like you have so many examples of like you know I love the the phrase "Go girl, give us nothing" has given me so much in this <laughs> life, um, and I would describe that as so many of Adam Sandler's movies of him just doing what he wants, um, because like from you know the Water Boy on, it's so much of him just doing what he wants, and then you pair him with um, with Noah Baumbach, and you pair him with the Safdie brothers, um, and or even I'll say even Judd Apatow or Paul Thomas Anderson, and when someone else is like. Hey Adam, like, what can you do with this scene? Like, I I want to be a fly on the wall when I see a a director who isn't one of his little buddies or someone from his little roster getting what they want out of him because it, he just seems so willing to go to extremes and not it, like I find his dramatic acting actually pushes the envelope of emotions and the and the extremes so much more than his comedy does. His comedy, I don't think. St- stacks up in 2022 there's just people have done what he's done um but as a dramatic actor he can so push an envelope and so mm-hmm. i i just love to see the the way he interacts with directors and writers who aren't his little buddies yeah it's um <laughs> i think he like he just he has another level that he goes to when he's not making his own movies and i appreciate like i kind of like it's <laughs> No, because the movies he's making with Happy Madison and with Netflix are are not good. You know, <laughs> no. they're they're bad movies, but like you yeah. know what you're getting out of them, and I appreciate that about them in a lot Absolutely. of ways. Um, but I think you're right when he's you know prepare he's paired with these these other sometimes like auteur esque um, uh, directors, like because uh, like if you. Th- I would say Paul Thomas Anderson is is kind of an auteur at this point. He's made so few. I think so, yeah. He's made so few movies, but they're all like just. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, I, the, I say that having seen like two of them, <laughs> um, but mm-hmm. um, he just he has this other level that he goes to, and he's he's doing something new. I think, yeah. and I, I kind of feel this way about Nicolas Cage as well. <laughs> yeah, that's a great comparison. In, in that, like, like he's not just sort of like I think a lot of people think maybe Sandler and in a lot of ways Nick Cage are sort of just like falling into into the the luck of their success for the the roles that they've had that are are praised as 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 are critically praised. But I think like they are very aware of what they are doing and how they are pushing the envelope of emotions and acting and stuff. And I, I can't wait to see Nick Cage's new movie personally. <laughs> yeah. I also think this, and I, I feel like, you know, like I said, we're kind of contextualizing this in time, uh, April 25th. Um, so right now, Nicholas Cage is going through a bit of a renaissance, not just in terms of career, you know, with stuff like pig, but also like 
you know, people posting snippets of these interviews or, or you know, these books about it, like, wow, Nick Cage is actually a really great guy or whatever, or he's a fascinating man. Whereas, you know, even two years ago, it was like, wow, Nick Cage is such a joke. Um, with, um, you know, Cage, Sandler, these guys who, again, they come along and they do a prestige movie with these auteur directors every 10 years, if that. Um, I also think like if we saw that more often from them, there is a very good chance we'd be like, I am so fucking sick of this guy. Because remember when that started to happen with McConaughey? Oh, God, like, yeah. When, you know, for, uh, I, I, I don't want to say it was 2009-ish, and I couldn't stop hearing, you know, Matthew McConaughey is actually a really good actor. And then it felt like there was a period where every movie he was in was, you know, Matthew McConaughey is actually a really good actor. Like that was just the thesis of every movie. Like, I mean, True Detective season one was great. Interstellar was great. But um, I, I was just like, oh my God, like you you do not have to convince me anymore that Matthew McConaughey is a good actor. And you did so it. It, it happened. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. We have, just like we have enough Scarlett Johansson movies, we have enough Matthew McConaughey's a good actor movies. Yeah. Um, no, I will not see The Lincoln Lawyer. Um, we are not doing a Matthew McConaughey episode of Peak Show. Um, but um, I do think though that like, even, you know, I think some people were upset and I, I don't want to go too far into this because I'm probably getting the details wrong. I know some people were upset that Sandler um, wasn't nominated for um, for an Oscar for Uncut Gems. I could be entirely making this up, but I feel like he kind of said like, "Oh yeah, we didn't we didn't really campaign that hard for it," and you know, I feel like there are a lot of actors who they get to a certain age, especially you know they. They get to, um, I'm borrowing a term from Jack Allison, they get to their scarf years where they they put on a scarf and they do a serious movie, but it really <laughs> is all about getting them that Oscar. And, you know, we have to hear about how method they went or whatever, Jared Leto. Um, and, I mean, Jared Leto already has well, his Oscar, so why can't he go away? God, why <laughs> can't he go away? Well, I think that's kind of like, that's kind of why, I assume this is the point you're getting at, that's why mm -hmm. movies like Uncut Gems, people like... Um, Adam Sandler and Nick Cage like that, uh, that's almost why you appreciate him more because you don't feel like he's doing it to get an Oscar I think that's yeah. I think that's kind of part of the reason that the sort of early aughts movies like Spanglish and Rain Over Me and the uh, don't feel as as good and, and because it feels Not like it feels like he's pushing for that it feels like he wants yeah. the recognition whereas this feels like an artistic choice <laughs> just yeah. like I wanted to do this movie because it's this movie and this story and I wanted to tell it in the way that I thought I could tell it. Yeah. And I, I think also with something like rain over me, that is a care. The character that he plays is a character that anyone could play. Um, any like Phil him with, I don't know like who's around the same age who could do a role like that, but even, um, uh, someone who, yeah, I, it's not going to come to me at this point, but like any, any 30 something actor, or any 40-year-old actor could have played that role. And it's like we just picked Adam Sandler, whereas a role like Uncut Gems or Punch Drunk Love, those were written for him. I know they weren't like specifically written for him, but like that character is what Adam Sandler does best, which again is um, concealed pain, um, you know, a very specific idea of masculinity, um, unearned confidence. Like that's, it's it's all... It's also rich. Yeah, I, I I totally agree with you. That's actually one of my 
one of my things when I like think about acting awards and stuff. I feel like if mm-hmm. you can put another actor in there and the movie doesn't change like on a major level, they shouldn't get acting award. Yeah. <laughs> like that's kind of how I feel about it. And that's how I feel that is exactly how I feel about um Adam Sandler and Uncut Gems. Like I I've, I've definitely said almost the exact same same thing to Jason. Um like mm-hmm. you just no one else could play this role. Like no one no one could do yeah. it the justice. Um and also, I'll say to credit a lot of other people in this movie, like I feel that way about like Indina Menzel and stuff like that. That movie is all around extremely well cast. Um, I will. I wouldn't show I shout out this on our podcast, but like Kevin Garnett does amazing in this movie because what he's doing yeah. is so hard. He's playing himself, but 10 years ago in a story that's yeah. fake, but also has ties to things that actually happened. Like it's it's insane what he's doing and he's doing it so well probably because he's not thinking about as much as i am but (laughs) i'm gonna say four words that i never normally say in any context austin matthews could never (laughs) could never also can you imagine austin matthews in his 30s playing himself 10 years ago and him like being in wardrobe like no no no, my hairline was here i promise i promise Uh, i promise it was there uh imagine Imagine Adam Sandler in those giant shorts in a you know group of three, and he's not the one who looks worst <laughs> worst in that picture. Oh, I'm sorry. I love Austin Matthews so much, but anyone who claims he's hot is just lying. Listen, um, you just from the neck down. <laughs> he's, I, he's got, I like my. He has a nice butt. That's. I like that's my boys I with a bunting bod. Yeah. I, I like You're like I a like weedy little, little like, rat man. <laughs> Like Splinter from (laughs) Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is my ideal man. So the last thing I want to touch on, because one of my friends, when I told them I was doing, um, when I told them I was doing an episode about Adam Sandler, they bring up like, you know, Adam Sandler's a Republican. And yes, Adam Sandler's a Republican. Um, I don't want to say I don't care. um, But here's two things. A, at this point, I have found like if someone say, supported joe biden in the 2020 primaries i look at that as borderline the same like um and well and adam sandler is a republican as far as we know he is not very vocal about his political affiliation that's what i was gonna say and i appreciate that i don't really want to know what his political affiliation is and that's like the thing is, yeah, he might have performed at a couple Republican conventions 10 years ago. You know what I've never had to do? Hear Adam Sandler talk about they, them pronouns. Nope. I'm fine with that. You know, because <laughs> like <laughs> there's a certain like type of rich celebrity. Here's here's another thing. I've said this many times on this podcast. I don't think any celebrities could possibly be good people like that. The, and like I say that in jest, but I do think there is something about the nature of celebrity uh, celebrity the noun like it is brain rotting and it removes you from reality um and adam sandler is the epitome of someone who has for the last couple of years just been counting his money and then throwing it at random things and i think though that he you know and i'm not going to pathologize anything but it's like this man probably doesn't talk a lot about politics because he he is literally not bothered by politics. He is of the class that no matter who is in charge, nothing will change for He's him. He's going to be fine. <laughs> I almost I almost respect that. Like the reason Same. why I'm not hearing about Adam Sandler's opinions on trans kids is probably because it doesn't fucking affect him. And at this point, especially there's such a culture war right now, especially in the United States, going backwards on the rights of LGBTQ issues, 
at this point, I will settle for not having to hear someone's ignorant opinion about it. Same. And like, that's how I feel. Yeah. It's like, I, I know that lots of people artists in general who whose work I like or appreciate in many ways do not share my political or moral values that's just how it is because most of them have more money than me and that tends to be a deciding factor of brain rot it's brain rot um (laughs) I mean Jimmy Stewart beloved beloved by all staunch Republican yeah and like I you know we also can't discount how the the actual two parties of the United States have change in the past 20 30 40 years like yes a republican in the 90s and a republican now are two very different things and i'm not using that to defend sandler i don't like either of them but um but like you are you're completely right um you know because in the 90s first of all you could be a democrat and oppose basic rights for lgbtq people um and like I think for a lot of people as well, like it, the Iraq war was a big drawing line and stuff because a lot of people supported George W. Bush because like I didn't even live in America and I know that the America sauce propaganda was so intense around that time. And like, you know, an, an actor who I love, a very complicated man, but Mickey Rourke was a Republican who not only explicitly supported George W. Bush, but explicitly supported the war in Iraq. Um, and, you know, that's just, hey, guess what? I'm not taking my political advice from Mickey Rourke and um, I'm not making geopolitical decisions based on what Mickey Rourke thinks. But then Mickey Rourke very, you know, had said he was very excited to vote Democrat for the first time in his life in 2020. You know what? Or I think maybe even 2016. I know he did not vote for Donald Trump. Good for you, Mickey Rourke. You know, everyone can come around, but just like, yeah. So and all that is to say, like, I sound like I'm making excuses for Republicans here, but it's more that like, Adam Sandler being a Republican is both extremely non-surprising and, believe it or not, extremely inconsequential to the various junk food crap career he has had. Yeah, because, you know, I also don't feel like his movies, like, are pushing a political agenda on me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, you know, even um, even Uncut Gems, which is is wholly, like, tied up in a lot of socio-political economic relationships that I have a lot of thoughts about, which you can hear on my podcast, um, yes. mm-hmm. um, is not, like, it doesn't feel political. Like, it doesn't, It I don't feel like I'm t- supposed to believe anything. Like, the movies are stupid, and we need stupid shit yes. <laughs> to get through the yeah. day sometimes. <laughs> I, I just, and, and I was, because... Uh, just you know mere days ago i was i was in your land and by your land i mean america not new york um if it were new york we surely would have hung out uh, i was in ohio last week um at a conference i was the only canadian there um first of all i learned that americans love justin trudeau um that's like is like and most of people who i with were like kind of um like center progressives, I would say, um, and so like environmental Mo- moderates and stuff. And so, love Justin Trudeau. Trudeau. Oh my God, moderates love Justin Trudeau, and they all think he's super hot. But what I've also learned is that Americans don't know who Jagmeet Singh is. And for our American listeners, he is the leader of our further left party. He's the first federal leader of color um, in Canada. He's a Sikh man, and so I tell this one, and I was like, "You think he's? You think Trudeau's hot? Look up Jagmeet Singh." And she described him as smoldering, which is great. <laughs> um, but no, what I was explaining to her is that um like the biden democrats are around the same position on the political spectrum as the canadian conservative party uh and like we do have one further right party in canada called the people's party of canada they can't even win a single seat so that's like 
there is not an aggressive far right movement in Canada. I mean, there is, but it's it's not doing much. It's not accomplishing much. It's, it's um, sitting in Ottawa for days and days honking horns. Oh, poor Liz. <laughs> pour one out for Liz, everyone. everyone pour one out for um, Liz. Now they're they're coming in motorcycles in a couple of weeks. That's going to be fun. Oh. Um, pray for Liz. Uh, pray for my brother who also lives in Ottawa. Um, but um, so when I when I see that like someone's a Democrat versus a Republican, and I think like, oh well, so who would they vote for in Canada though? Because these, these people might vote for you know um, Aaron O'Toole or someone in Canada, and then we'd say cancel them. So um, party politics mean essentially nothing. Um, yeah, that's no, that. I, I have reached over the past three to five years my political stances. The American political system is broken and mm-hmm. it's not going to be fixed until we dismantle it entirely. And that's not going to yeah. happen in my lifetime. So I'm going to keep uh, voting for the lesser of two evils. <laughs> I'm I'm going to keep. Well, I mean, I now live in a riding that is such a conservative stronghold. It's essentially pointless for me to vote, but I will still vote. Um and uh, I'll just keep making shit post podcasts. So. Love um, that. Love that for everyone. Well, Kelsey, guess what? We're at the lightning round. Oh my god! Um, Let me find my notes. I, <laughs> this is this is your first lightning round. Yeah, I guess we, we didn't do doing, it last time. No, I mean we did the witch hockey as uh, as witch uh, mighty duck, and we went really off the rails. But we did. Um, and I had some thoughts oh. about that, but we don't have to include that here. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that after, though, because I want to hear those <laughs> yeah. thoughts. So, Kelsey, Billy Madison or Happy Gilmore? Happy Gilmore, all the way. So as an adult, I will say Happy Gilmore, but you must understand that I watched Billy Madison so much as a kid that I almost wore, um, wore the tape. I think, actually, I will say I like Happy Gilmore as a character better, but the, the movie, the total package... Because you also have Bradley Whitford and the lovely Bridget Neil, uh, Wilson-Sampras, yeah. that movie does slightly edge out. Yeah, Happy I, I think I, I think you're right that it is a better it's a better movie, but Happy Gilmore just holds like a very specific place in my heart. Specifically, mm-hmm. my dad trying to teach me how to golf. Um, I have a lot of feelings for it. And like, I want Adam Sandler to make a dumbass actual hockey movie. Like, I need that oh, in God, my life. Yeah. Like, because I know, because there's an argument whether or not Happy Gilmore is a hockey movie. It's not. It's a golf movie. Um, <laughs> but I want an Adam Sandler hockey movie. Oh, wait, did you see the leaf to leaf of uh, Jack Campbell's encyclopedic knowledge of Happy Gilmore? No, I haven't watched that one yet. <gasps> oh, my God. So it's him and Morgan Riley. And um, it's like the game they're playing is um, finish the line. And um, it's so it furthers my belief of Jack Campbell. And I can say this as a neurodivergent person, Jack Campbell, neurodivergent mm-hmm. um, and specifically Jack Campbell, neuro- neurodivergent special interests, um, special <laughs> interests in Happy Gilmore. Um, the best part of it is that he refuses to say the word bitch. Oh, um, Jack. Or yeah, he's like, I, oh, <laughs> I, I know that one. And he just like doesn't say it. Um, yeah. Um, sorry. Hockey tangent again. But uh, <laughs> it's that- never not going to happen when it's the two of us. We'll it's never to... not going to happen with me and anyone. Yeah. I'm, I'm bringing yeah. Jason for the Mel Brooks episode, so maybe we'll stay off hockey there. <laughs> I don't think there's, I, I mean, never say never, but I don't think there's a lot of Mel Brooks hockey crossover. No, um, no. But no, it's that he, Campbell gets the tone right, though, of him, like, uh, Riley and just his little Riley is like, 
I was put on this earth for one reason and one reason only, and Campbell just wants to play hockey. Like, <laughs> it's so cute. So now I don't even know why I'm asking this question. Punch Drunk Lover, Uncut Gems. Uncut Gems. Yeah. I, I will say Uncut Gems as well. However, um, what I would say about both of those movies is both of them are profoundly upsetting movies and mm-hmm. in a good way. And I love a good upsetting movie watch, a movie that you can only watch like once a year because it just stresses you out or bothers you too much. And Punch Drunk Love is great for that. But I think Uncut, Uncut Gems is a bit more, not even timeless because it's very much a time capsule of 2008. But um, it it's fresh. Its humor is extremely fresh. Its writing is extremely fresh. So yeah, Uncut Gems test of time yeah um now this is something we talked a lot about with um mike myers about how we would have loved to see mike myers do someone else's ip or you know rehash something if you could see him play a comic book villain or a disney villain or something who would it be so i think a lot about this because i'm not like a huge comic book person so i don't have like a huge like encyclopedia there but i can't really see him as a disney villain in a lot of ways no um, it would have to be like a version of Howard Ratner somehow, <laughs> which which feels a little bit anti-Semitic in some ways. <laughs> well, I was going to say, actually, I feel now like I shouldn't have asked this question because one thing Disney has a huge history of is really like, I don't know if there's a proper term for this, but like Jewish coding a lot of its villains. I mean, the fairy, fairy general, tales in general really have had yeah. that problem. But I think I would like to see him specifically in like, the Joel Schumacher Batman situation. Okay. But like maybe playing the penguin, but in that very heightened, like Arnold Schwarzenegger, Uma Thurman, nipples on Batman, like Batman and Robin style (laughs) movie. (laughs) Well, I think Sandler hasn't done a lot of things that are camp. Um, like, he's done silly, but he hasn't done camp, which is what the Schumacher Batman... Sh- Schumacher Batman? I would, I would like to see it. Are. Yeah. Um, so I... Yeah. I, would, I mean, I've I've long said that, you know, people will get into their uh, discourse about Die Hard's a Christmas movie and blah, blah, blah. My kind of, like, dork-ass Christmas movie that I like to watch is um, is Batman Returns. I love the Batman third Returns. One? Uh, no, it's the second one. It's the one with DeVito. Okay, um, yes. I've had a childhood obsession with Danny DeVito. That was a weird thing. That like, I watched Bat. I watched Batman Returns at a very young age, and that's what got me into Matilda, and that's what got- I was like seven years old watching Taxi reruns. God, Matilda's a great so, movie. Flashbook. Yeah, absolutely. I, I recently was saying, though, on the... Um, on uh, on the twits that um, don't care for the musical. But um, so at first I was looking through Batman um, and I, I thought that could be fun, but I will actually say that I would love to see him as um, Wallenquist and Sin City. Um, at first, because I was like, oh, who are some of the... Um, who are some of the like main antagonists in Sin City? And then I was like, Oh, right. Like there's a, a Catholic cardinal. Well, I don't think, I mean, Jewish people don't only ever have to play Jewish people, but I don't think Adam Sandler could convincingly play Catholic. And surprisingly, a lot of Adam Sandler's roles are not Jewish coded. Like the Jewish no. thing about them is, is that he's in them. But, yeah, but like, like he doesn't Gilmore actually Jewish play coded. Jewish all that much. Like a lot of his movies take place in like Connecticut. 
<laughs> like, yeah. which is which is because he grew up in New England, yeah. so it makes sense. But um, no, I would say that um, yeah, like or maybe someone like a Senator Rourke or something. I would actually, I thought Senator Rourke from Sin City would be interesting because he's not a heavy. He's like, he's a very powerful guy who gets everyone else to do his dirty work for him. I think that could be somewhere where Adam Sandler thrives because he's he would just kind of get to sit and be very inactive behind a desk and be an asshole. Yeah, I would, I would love to see him in like an old school mafia movie. Um, mm-hmm. playing Jewish mafia. Um, but I, I, I don't think there's been enough stories told about the Jewish mafia. I agree. So. Um, yeah. I, I think I think that would be a really fun turn for him and a lot of other actors. We should get that happening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so of all the performers that he's collaborated with multiple times, which collaboration do you like best? God, this is so hard, right? I just, mm-hmm. I... I just, I... I don't know. <laughs> and I think like I think the stuff with Farley on Saturday Night Live is just so in the the like cultural zeitgeist. Like I know it and I don't know I know it. Like it's just there. Mm-hmm. And I think that it just works so well. But like in a lot of ways, I think he has you know it it's because we can't recapture it. Mm-hmm. Um I would love, I don't know if this is someone he's worked with multiple times, but I love him and Henry Winkler in The Waterboy. And I feel yes. like we did not get enough of that. Um, well, because that was kind of like bef- just before like the Henry Win- uh, Winkler renaissance, yeah. like that Arrested Development really drove. And now he's like just killing it in Barry. Um, and that's good because um, I, you know what? Actually, I don't have, I don't have this, but I would love to know like who's someone he's collaborated with bef- like once that you would like to see him work with again because for me john turturro is a big one. Oh god yeah um again talking about renaissance like you know i'm loving how much we all love turturro and severance um i haven't watched severance I, just as a heads up <laughs> um yeah it's a hard recommend but i don't know how much of a sci-fi fan you are um it's one of those things uh, uh, sci-fi and fantasy i'm like really picky about but i do yeah. like them but that's that's fine yeah um uh, you know, someone he has collaborated with multiple times that I think he has actually a lot of very interesting chemistry with. And um, my lightning round was cut out of the Judd Apatow episode due to a recording error. But um, we talked about how underrated Leslie Mann is and how she's been known way too much as just like Judd Apatow's wife. Mm-hmm. And I actually think she is lovely with him in Big Daddy. And they have that kind of very cute sniper relationship. I thought that movie, when I first saw it, was going to do a misdirect of like them getting together. Me t- I was rewatching it for this. And I was like, they have more. Chem- like, I actually think he and the other girl have pretty good chemistry. But mm-hmm. I, they have Leslie Mann and him have more chemistry. And it's just like, I want more of that relationship. Mm-hmm. But um, no, in terms of someone he's collaborated with once that I'd like to see him collaborate with again, um, I would say um, uh, Bradley Whitford in Billy Madison. Yes, 100%. Bradley Whitford is doing so much in that movie. And just like, you know, as someone who knows Bradley Whitford from The West Wing, which I think if I ever rewatched The West Wing now, I would have a lot of weird feelings um, <laughs> politically um, we talk a little bit about the west wing in our david fincher episode coming yeah. up um mostly not really because it's it's not an aaron sorkin thing but like we talk a lot about sorkin and why he works so well with the social network and so um can't wait for you to hear that but yeah, yeah like bradley whitford i think he 
he's someone that gets cast a lot in like sweet old man roles now. And I think the one thing that Get Out reminded people is that he is really good at playing a villain. He's so good as the villain. And I really want him to do more of that. Yeah. And and I really, I really enjoyed that. I think as far as like people he collaborates with a lot, I love his relationship with Chris Rock in The Longest Yard. It's one of my favorite parts yeah. about that movie. And I, I, them as just like friends. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's just very believable in, in that. It just feels right um so i guess see i just think chris rock can't act i i i like chris rock i want to like him and i think his comedy is great i think chris rock is a terrible actor he just plays himself (laughs) yeah Um, that's and you know do what works for you also spiral is so bad also steve buscemi should always be steve buscemi is just a wonderful man in everything (laughs) yeah i god i love him are you watching miracle workers because you got to watch miracle workers I don't think I've ever heard of that. Does this make me look bad? <laughs> no, it might. It might. It, it's like it feels very cult. But um, okay. it's Steve Buscemi and Daniel Radcliffe. There's three short oh, seasons. I love both of them. Uh, I think it's on HBO Max, but I don't know about how, how it works in Canada. <laughs> um, if it's on HBO Max in Canada, that means it's on Crave. But that usually you also have to upgrade. Mm. So I would have to get another streaming service and then upgrade. But usually, like if I want to watch something bad enough, I will just buy the seasons on iTunes. Like transaction and especially now that we all hate netflix transactional vod is so absolutely underrated you guys especially because you can still get special features with a lot of them yeah um but yeah that would be my recommendation to you because it's it's silly and very high concept but i think you will enjoy it awesome so of all sandler's uh romantic partners in movies which is the most believable to you you know i think I mean i i i defended this already and said i think it's his actual wife in eight crazy nights yeah but Outside of that, because that feels kind of like cheating. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say Drew Barrymore, but then I watched Hubie Halloween and I was like, I think it's Julie Bowen. Weirdly. I love Julie Bowen her, in general. Her energy is just like kind of in that specifically is is kind of just like out there in a huge mm-hmm. way <laughs> and, yeah. and just really matches him. And I think in Happy Gilmore, it's like sweet and... You know, it's not the main focus of the the plot, which I appreciate. Um, and yes. I think it's just it's it's just simple and it works. And I would love to see them do more things too. On that note, um, my ex that I dated in university, and he will come up once again. I hate to say it, but um, uh, he used to always look at me and go, "Friends can listen to endless love in the dark." <laughs> um, <laughs> But uh, no, I will actually uh, kind of echo what you said about Big Daddy and say uh, Joey Lauren Adams and uh, Big Daddy. First of all, she's just delightful. Like I wish. What happened? I feel to like her? she had this like. I mean, she was uh, she was in Chasing Amy, and then she was in Big Daddy, and then what what happened? I mean, for all I know, this uh, could be totally ignorant. She could have had a great career, and I just like happened to not see anything that she did, but. Um, I I thought she was like so like cause she's very cute, but she was like the quirky cute, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, she doesn't not much of note uh, after that. Um, not like yeah, I don't recognize any of these. I think maybe a lot of indie stuff, mm-hmm. but so yeah, like they they were really cute together and really well suited toward that movie. Like that movie, that's a you know we talk about our Gatorade hangover movies. That's a great hangover movie, yeah. Big Daddy, because he's a little loud, but he's not that loud. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's a uh, it's funny to think about that uh, the kid being uh, Cole and and Dylan Sprouse, who are now like 
yeah. certified, or I guess, I guess only one of them is still acting. Just right? the one of them, which <laughs> I don't know which one because I've never watched an episode of Riverdale. But yeah. um, the one that's on Riverdale. <laughs> yes. Um, okay, so if you had to be like Clockwork Orange style, forced to watch Jack and Jill or Don't Mess with the Zohan, which would you choose? It would be Don't Mess with the Zohan because mm-hmm. Adam Sandler in drag makes me more uncomfortable and tense than all of Uncut Gems. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. <laughs> my problem with Don't Mess with the Zohan is that it's simply not funny. Um, my problem with Jack and Jill is that it offends me, and I mean on a sensory level. It's so loud. It's so shrill. I know. I know. There's like a lot of like feminist, like kind of loadedness to the term shrill. I think it's fine to say when it's a man in drag, and specifically Adam Sandler in drag. So, yeah. I think it's feminist now, to point it out that it is misogynistic. <laughs> yes. Um, so now we talked a little bit about his attractiveness, but I want to know in in which movie do you think he's the most attractive? The Wedding Singer, 100. percent Yes. He actually, like, I know that his style is meant to be, like, dated for even then and ironic, but when you look at it, I actually think he looks darling. He does. In that movie. And I'm like, is that his, his real curls? hair? Like, he should have that hair more. I mean, yeah. <laughs> is like, it a wig? I don't know. <laughs> he has always kept his hair extremely cropped and short, and I'm sorry, but, like, d- like curly hair is a genetically Jewish thing, right? Yeah. Like, my... My friend's dad owns a salon specifically devoted to Jewish curly hair. So I'm like, I know it's a, it's very much a hair type. And so I'm just like, grow it, grow it, Adam, grow it. No, I think he's adorable in that movie. Like there are certain, you know, like there's, you know, we talk a lot about hockey attractiveness and I say like, yes, there's Pierre Engvall. Of course I would sleep with him if, you know, if he would have me, Pierre, call me. Um, (laughs) But then there's. I'll say there's a level of attractiveness we'll call Alex Kerfoot attractive, which is to say, aww. Poor Kerf. Like, that's, and that's what this Adam is, Sandler like, We have very different movie. tastes in hockey attractive, though. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. I, Willie would crush me with his thighs, yes, but he also might crush me with his head. Um, <laughs> it's a big head. His head is too large. His helmet just looks like it's floating on top of it. Um, so... His comedy albums, what is your favorite bit from them? Um, So I think like the only comedy album that I have like repeated exposure to is Stan and Judy's Kid, which came out in 2000, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, It was like his last one, I think. Yeah. Or one of his last ones. And I re-listened to it for this. Um, And I think like one of the the bits on there is is the bit called Whitey, which is basically the basis for Mm -hmm. Eight Crazy Crazy Nights, which does give me a... uh, just, you know, makes me feel warm because, like, I know where it went from there and that that makes me happy. Um, but I will say, re-listening to it, the song, uh, She Comes Home to Me, which is about mm-hmm. a man who is uh, dating uh, an escort or a hooker, is, like, mm-hmm. super catchy, very sex positive, very sex yeah. work positive, And, like, Sandler sounds good. Like, I think that's another yeah. thing we, like, I think when I was... I think he's at his best comedically when he's doing music shit. And, yeah. Well, and, that was his one famous, uh, the, the opera character on, on SNL. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, and SNL, his, the music bits are always the best. Mm-hmm. And I think he is at his, has his best there. So I, I think the songs always translate better than the sort of bits on the albums. Um, but 
uh, and she comes home to me. He's doing like a Dean Martin, swoony, Frank Sinatra, big band style voice. And he sounds so good. And like, he can sing. Like, he has an instrument. And I don't think he gets enough credit for that because he's using a lot of funny voices a lot. But he um, yeah. he really does have like a, a usable, passable voice uh, uh, mm-hmm. that I that I like seeing on display there. So, uh, and if you listen to a recent episode of Real Good Pros, I mentioned this in my little did you now kind of way in the mailbag, that um, it is thought that only about 5% of people in this world are actually tone deaf, or the term is a music, that most people do actually have a usable instrument somewhere in there. And it's really just a matter of, you know, a combination of training, physicality, um, shyness, which is a big thing. Um, now, I, I'm i a very well-trained singer, but like there is someone like my dad, who if my dad actually just learned to project, or my husband, it's like, oh, you could be a good singer. And that's why it's really important for actors, especially comedic actors, to, um, you know, kind of learn to hone their voice at a young age. And I'll say, like, if you're a person who ever wants to perform, uh, you know, whether it's comedy, drama or whatever, take that voice lesson. Do not be afraid, because even if you think you're not a good singer, there's still a good chance that you are. Um, So I was going to go with one of the obvious ones, like, because I started listening to his comedy albums when I was about 10 or 11, uh, because that was when Napster came out and I downloaded all of them. So like, there's like, you know, Tollbooth Willie and they're all going to laugh at you. Um, I really do think Lunch Lady Land is one of the best um, because also Odenkirk's on it. And I think people really forget about early Bob Odenkirk and how good he was. Um, Also, it came up on our, um, or it didn't come up on our Seinfeld episode, but there is a young Bob Odenkirk in the episode where Elaine dates um, a medical or uh, a medical intern, and she keeps telling everyone he's a doctor. That's Bob Odenkirk. Um, but Kelsey, I'm going to ask you: Have you ever heard the song at a medium pace? I don't know. So um, this is where my ex from university will come up, and. Um, you know, I, I don't think he listens to this, but just in case. Hi, Sean. Um, when I, I'm about to say this completely non-ironically, this is the best thing anyone has ever done for me. We used to hang out at this karaoke bar. Um, the, like us and all our friends, like, we worked at this bar and stuff. Um, and he would he got up and he I think he did clear it with me before. And he's like, are you OK if I do this? He got up and he said, this is dedicated to gr- my girlfriend, Brie. And he sang at a medium pace. Now, I'm not going to sing it mainly because I want to get through it fast, but I'm going to recite the first verse to you. Put your arms around me, baby. Can't you see I need you so? Hold me close against your skin. I'm about to begin loving you. Spit on your hand and stroke my cock at a medium pace. (laughs) Play with my balls and tell me how big they are. I thought you were going to sing, Brie. It's impossible to get through. Like That song is... So joyful. <laughs> um, it's so disgusting. Like, honey, rub your beaver up and down my face. Sit on the corner of the bed and watch me whack off. <laughs> like, it's... <laughs> and so, yeah, being, you know, 21 years old and hanging out in my favorite karaoke bar and having my boyfriend sing that to me in front of everyone. And I think everyone thought I was really embarrassed, but I'm just there, like, laughing my ass off. Um, that is... God, that's a good one. And you're right. He is a really good singer um, for, you know, what the assignment is. And just like that is Adam Sandler the ham. But um, it's again, like 
you know, I say his comedy doesn't necessarily hold up now because like there's there's a way further edge to go to, but that like I just picture that coming out in you know 1998 or whenever it came out. Um, when did it come out? 1990 something. Um, it's from they're all gonna laugh at you actually. So I, that's 2002. That can't be right. Um, but um, yeah, it's um, that would have turned some turned some heads, I'm sure. So I love at a medium pace. Um, that that ex and I also once performed the song No Children by the Mountain Goats at a pub night. Um, several months before we had an extremely bitter breakup. So I think like our musical selections, um, always, always crowd pleasing, always fun to look back on. Um, so what is the better holiday movie? Uncut Gems or Eight Crazy Nights? This um, one actually will be hard. Um, I think for me, it has to be Eight Crazy Nights just because as like, a, I love Christmas movies in general like so that's a huge part of my holiday traditions is watching Christmas movies and Mm -hmm. not being able to have anything that represented my own experience um for such a long time uh and then that gap being filled because it's it's also a Christmas movie like it's about you know it's about a Jewish Mm -hmm. kid but it's also like a a general holiday movie um Mm -hmm. and that just like it means so much to me in a lot of ways yeah um by the way, this calendar year, just as Passover and Easter actually occurred at the same time this year, um, so did Ramadan. It was, it was packed to April. Yeah. Um, but this coming year, um, Christmas is overlapping with Hanukkah for the first time uh, in a while that I can remember. So that's nice. Yeah. Um, I know that like everyone has always told me like Hanukkah's not actually that big a deal. It's just you know made into a big deal because it's close to Christmas. I will also tell people who aren't intimately familiar with Catholic culture, Christmas isn't the most important holiday on the Catholic calendar either. It's Easter, baby. We're all about the solemn holidays. Um, as as the non-Jewish one in this equation, I will say that what I like about Eight Crazy Nights is Eight Crazy Nights for me when I saw it, it felt. Um, Calling something anything 101 always seems like a bad thing, but it felt kind of Hanukkah 101 in that it felt like it was my way into Hanukkah to actually understand a little bit more about not even, like everything I knew about Hanukkah up to that point was um, like people explaining the religious significance of Hanukkah and the um, the mythicism or like that's not the right word, but like like explain to me where Hanukkah came from in, um, uh, but not necessarily the non-religious cultural aspects of Hanukkah. You know, like you talk about being like more culturally Jewish than anything. Um, Whereas Uncut Gems, also very, you know, culturally about Passover, but um, I'll say that the, a lot of those affectations I think are more for Jewish people. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're things that like, I'm not going to get because I'm not Jewish. which doesn't make it a worse movie. Um, but I'll say that Eight Crazy Nights, for me, um, I have very much a way into that. And it's very relatable. Like you said, it's a very, gen- like, not generic, but like it's a general holiday movie as well. Um, it's also, I know it's not the most kid-friendly, but I mean, kid-friendly is a subjective term because some of us grew up, um, you know, in love with Danny DeVito and watching Adam Sandler movies unsupervised. So I think Eight Crazy Nights is kid-friendly. I think, I think it, I mean, I saw it, like, I think the year it came out, so... 
I was like 12 or 13. Like, I don't know. But <laughs> um, yeah, it's at least like middle school friendly. <laughs> totally. It's very middle schoolish. Like just yeah. the, the juvenileness of it all. Okay. So what's your guilty pleasure Adam Sandler movie? I mean, I've kind of already touched on this, but I think my guilty ple- pleasure Adam Sandler movie is The Longest Yard because I do okay. genuinely enjoy that movie <laughs> mm-hmm. um, for a lot of reasons. Uh and I think it's kind of a forgotten one for him because it's like it's Adam Sandler, but it's not really him doing any like Adam Sandlery things. It's just yep. he clearly wanted to make a football movie and you know remake this uh remake this Burt Reynolds movie, and it's a it's definitely an ensemble piece, and I appreciate mm-hmm. that. And um, it's also a pretty uh pretty good indictment of the private prison system (laughs) in a lot of ways which i realized watching it today i was like oh well yeah this goes hard (laughs) okay um yeah murder mystery for me um i just think like after the utter shit that was a lot of the 2010s and stuff um murder mystery is kind of a thing of like oh you know what there is an adam sandler movie that you can just kind of enjoy quietly like and um I, I will say it's it's a good comfort food movie. I, I don't think anyone's going to walk away from Murder Mystery going, you know what? That was really great. That was the next Billy Madison. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's for about a decade, his movies just full on offended me mm-hmm. um, because of how unfunny they were. So I think Murder Mystery is uh, and, and also Jennifer Aniston is extremely funny. And I'm glad that we in the last 10 years have seen her do more comedy um, and not just uh, like and not just her cutesy like Rachel Green comedy like actually um, you know kind of take herself less seriously I still think of the three friends ladies I think Courtney Cox is actually the funniest but um, funnily enough you know who's in the longest yard Courtney Cox oh, <laughs> right I completely forgot about she's only that. in it at the very beginning but she is in it yeah. <laughs> man um <laughs> God, yeah, Courtney Cox, amazingly funny. But yeah, I think um, I think Jennifer Aniston is delightful in Murder Mystery, and she kind of—I don't want to say makes up for Adam Sandler, but um, she's <laughs> she um, she pairs against him surprisingly well. Hmm. Um, okay, so when did Adam Sandler peak for you? Hmm. This is hard, right? Because I think there's like there's like very much where like. I enjoyed a lot of his output, which was, like, the late 90s um, Mm -hmm. or the mid-90s. But, like, I also think he peaked in Uncut Gems. Like, I think you can't not say that. I think he can't not Mm -hmm. have peaked there at this point, which I realize, like, is, like, (laughs) now he can only go down. But, like, there's a lot of valleys and hills in his career, I think. So I sometimes will change my definition of peak depending on the subject. And so I'm going to go, though, with something that I think people are going to think I'm nuts for. I'm going to say you don't mess with the Zohan. Now, is it one of his worst movies? Yes. But when you look at the trajectory of his career and how like this was when like from I'll say Little Nicky to You Don't Mess with the Zohan, uh, aside from Punch Drunk Love, this was uh, a lot of crap a lot of like well that sure happened even like the longest yard which i know you love like that is a movie that for me i can look at like well that's cert that certainly was a movie yeah um and then you have you don't mess with the zohan which was i think like although i'll say i now pronounce you chuck and larry i don't even want to say that hasn't aged well that is basically just homophobia the movie um 
with without him literally saying gay people are bad, you know, the, all the talk about his politics, but that that movie is gay people are a joke. Um, but um, you don't mess with the Zohan was kind of my first like, oh, Adam Sandler makes bad movies. Um, it's an annoying movie. It is an unfunny movie. It's not an inventive movie. And yet he picked right back up and he just goes on to, oh, I'm going to do funny people now. Oh, I'm going to do grownups now. And to me, when I think of peak, I sometimes think of when was a person at a point where they could just do whatever the fuck they wanted. Like, you know, that's with Taylor Swift. That's why I think Lover was her peak, because that was when she decided, you know what, I'm just going to completely reinvent the way I tour or like I'm just going to completely like go into a new genre and I am so powerful that it's not going to hurt me. Um, I think You Don't Mess With the Zohan was his proof that he is economically bulletproof. Huh. Like, so, and... And then because the next calendar year, he goes on to make Funny People. And while Funny People, you know, is a very mixed movie that has a lot of problems with it, like it's it's too long, you know, it's too L.A. He was very good in it. And like his performance was undeniably very good. And it was an interesting choice for them. And then like, what does he go back to? More grownups and Jack and Jill and Hotel Transylvania. And then, uh oh, here come the Meyerowitz stories. And so it's like you don't mess with the Zohan was cat emergency mm-hmm. <laughs> um you don't mess with the zohan was a like just it almost feels like an industry troll and so <laughs> i will say if we're talking about peak in terms of power um because he is he's not just an actor he's a producer zohan that i really do see it that way okay i can i can get All behind right. that so now if you were to recommend three Adam Sandler vehicles to a friend, movies, comedy, albums, sketches, what would they be? Oh, man. Okay. Well, you got to have Uncut Gems in there. Yeah. Um, I think I think I would probably do like, it would be like Uncut Gems, The Longest Yard, and Happy Gilmore, I think would probably mm-hmm. be, I would hit all those sort of portions of his career. Because I think mm-hmm. for me, The Longest Yard is the best of the movies that came out in that era um but it's like it's 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 fine um and i I just i think you can't talk about adam sandler now without talking about his performance in uncut gems Um, yeah and i think Um, happy gilmore is the movie that made me like him so mm -hmm. yeah i would say start with happy gilmore even though i still think billy madison is like my favorite movie um billy madison also is terribly sexist um and you know any any comedy that involves kids always makes me uncomfortable although actually i think a lot of what he does like that scene everyone talks about him pretending to have peed his pants i'm like that actually is a really it's played for laughs but that's a good example of how to be with kids yeah like embarrass embarrass yourself um but um yeah i would say happy gilmore is a little bit less offensive than Billy Madison, and this isn't me being a cancel culture warrior, just me saying Billy Madison might not be your cup of tea. Um, And then from Happy Gilmore, go straight into Uncut uncut Gems. And then here's my, my little me being different for the sake of being different. Unwind with the entire album of They're All Gonna Laugh at You. Um, which, uh, as I fact-checked, 1993. So that's when Adam Medium Pace came out. But that's when you get probably his best comedy bits on that. You get They're All Gonna Laugh at You. You get Lunch Lady Land. You get At a Medium Pace. Um, because I think Uncut Gems does need to be sandwiched between two things that will make you smile and 
borderline drool and just like, ah, oh, I can turn my brain off because, man, Uncut Gems is a stressful watch. It's a lot. It's so yeah. much. Although that said, I'm, now that I'm thinking about it, maybe you don't want to cram your brain with stuff after you've just watched Uncut Gems because, like you said, there's so much to unpack from mm-hmm. Uncut Gems and so much to analyze and enjoy on another level about it that, um, yeah, I think I think it's fair to say, like, sit sit quietly after Uncut Gems. Um, and finally, um, how big is the gap between the best of Adam Sandler and the worst of his stuff? Huge. Giant. This is, A this chasm. is the, I think, the, the biggest Grand gap. Canyon. <laughs> this is the absolute biggest gap we've done, uh, I think. Because even like I'd say, I said about Mike Myers, like if if Wayne Campbell is an A plus, the Love Guru is a D. I think if you know on the drama on the drama side, Uncut Gems; on the comedy side, Happy Gilmore. If those are A pluses, Jack and Jill is not even an F. Jack and Jill is a you're expelled. Yeah, it's like an, like. an incomplete. Like, it's like mm-hmm. you you are held back and you do not get to go to the next grade. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. Well, that just about does it for this episode of um, of Peak Show. want to thank Kelsey so much for joining us on the pod and talking Sandman. Uh, and uh, before we let you go, can you tell everyone uh, how they can find you, follow you, your various projects? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter. I think that's the only social media network that I'm reliably on at Kelsey mm-hmm. Rebecca. That's my name. Mm-hmm. And uh, I also have a podcast with a guest in front of the show, Jason Edwards, called Ruin My Life, where we are wholly enthusiastic about things that are that we love and we want our friends to love. So um, we have an episode coming out, hopefully by the time this is out, but if not, just after this will come out on the uh, film Malignant. So um, that'll be a fun uh, a fun rom for all of you. But we do have 90, 90 episodes in our back catalog, including one on Uncut Gems and the holiday of Passover. So feel free. Mm-hmm. Ruin my life. I... Uh, my favorite episode that you guys have done uh, I'm just plugging in because I love to shout out my favorites is uh, your episode on The Shining Uh, The Shining as you know is one of my favorite films and I think uh, you guys really get to a lot of the richness of that movie while also being extremely funny about it so um, yeah I you know I'm a big uh, I I just love Ruin My Life Um, I'm not even going to plug my own episode on it but you can find me at some point crawling around in the depths of the Ruin My Life archives as for me, I've been your host, Brie Rohde, and uh, we're uh, we're well into season two of Peak Show. We've got uh, our super month coming up very soon on Star Wars. As I said, I'm very excited to be bringing on Eric Siska for, from We Hate Movies, uh, as well as the Hooked on TJ Hooker podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Breganism, which is like veganism with a B-R-E-E, if Twitter still exists by the time this comes out. <laughs> Tell us what you're doing, Elon. Um, you can follow this podcast, Peak Show, at Peak Show Pod on Twitter. Don't forget to rate and review us. You can rate us on Spotify as well as Apple Podcasts. Give us five stars or go to hell. Special thanks to Jared Daly for our show logo and all its art. And thanks to Jack Dump for our theme music. Thank you for listening. I've been Bree Rohde and you see this shampoo bottle sticking up my ass! <laughs>